0: All right, so we are in week two of the sermon series. Uh, We're going through a sermon series together, four weeks, um, entitled The Body of Christ. We're looking at specifically what does it mean to be the body of Christ? Last week we answered the question what is the church? We looked at seven distinctives of the church, seven distinct markers that, that indicate a church as opposed to any other group or gathering of people, even other groups of Christians. What is it that, that, that causes one place to be a church versus another place being not? And we looked at seven distinctives of the church. And so it was, it was very much the macro uh, perspective on things. Today we're going to look at the micro, meaning the individual, and we're going to answer the question, what does it mean to be a church member? And so we're going to talk today about uh, when a person makes that decision to cross the threshold from attending on Sunday mornings to saying, yes, now I want to be recognized as a member. What does that mean from a biblical perspective? And so we're going to start in uh, the gospel of John chapter 13. If you want to go ahead and turn there, feel free to do that. John 13, as you do, um, I was thinking about what it means to be a member in, um, in other organizations and institutions outside of the church. And my first memory of being a member of anything, uh, and, uh, and so if you're, if you're under the age of 30, you'll have no idea where I'm about to go, but before, um, before Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and YouTube, uh, before the internet existed, there was this radical technology called uh, the VH- VHS player, and, uh, and I remember my first membership was to Blockbuster, Right? The little blue and yellow laminated card had my name, even had a little barcode on the back you could scan. And, uh, and I remember being a member of Blockbuster, where they physically had to have a copy of the movie or the Nintendo game that you wanted to borrow and rent, or else it was out of stock. And I had a friend who worked at Blockbuster, and so we had a Blockbuster within walking distance of my house, so I called my buddy Gary up, I had the number memorized, 598 9118 and I would call Gary. Back before we had to use area codes and say, hey, Gary, do we have, you know, do you have Die Hard 2 in? And, and Gary would look and say, no, we don't have one in, but we have one due in today. And, uh, and so as soon as it comes in, I'll pull it for you and I'll call you and let you know it's in. So I had the inside angle on the local Blockbuster and those, and that's what it meant to me to be a member. It was about my privileges and what I could get out of something. We're going to see today that that really has little to do with being a member of the church. It's not at all about what I get, but it's quite the opposite when we talk about church membership. In John chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 34, we're gonna read 34 and 35 together. Jesus is speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, that's our main text for the day. We're going to walk through this together. So to begin with, Jesus wants his followers to know, hey, guys, I'm not making a suggestion here. This is a command, right? Not just throwing this out there as a a brainstorming session on how to live a better life or how to be a happier you. I'm telling you. My followers, this is a command I'm giving you to love one another. Now, we know that from the gospel of Matthew at the end, after Jesus resurrects, he tells his disciples, guys, here's going to be your job going forward. Here's what I want the church to do. I want you to go out and make disciples, and here's what I want you to do. Those people who hear the gospel and believe, I want you to baptize them, and then teach them to observe all I've commanded, right? So we, we saw last week one of the distinctives of the church that sets the church apart from maybe another organization, even maybe another Christian organization, is that the church is devoted to the teachings of Jesus, biblical teachings, right? And so sometimes when Jesus says things, um, we might take it as like a recommendation or he's referring to something, but clearly today, right, no, no mistake about it, he's saying, this is a command. This is not optional. I'm commanding you to go and to love one another. Now, I'm glad that he qualified this idea of love, because he says, listen, go love one another just as I have loved you. Meaning what? He's, he's, he's thinking about a very specific kind of love. And in a day and time, ours today, where the ideas, the concepts of love and hate are constantly being redefined on a daily basis, right? So, right, what used to be a disagreement is now hate, right? What used to be, um, you know, uh, being patient with somebody and, and right, tolerant, like that's, that's the definition of love. And so we need, we need a clear definition of what he means, right? We can't just take our cultural perspective of love and say, well, this is what Jesus meant. He said, love one another. Let's be a church of love. And so it should look like this. Jesus says, no, I mean something very specific here, guys. I want you to love one another the way I've loved you. Distinct from how the world may define or exhibit love, I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. And so he means something very specific. Now, I I did some work this week in the New Testament um, looking for the definitions or the facets of biblical love. What did he mean? Did he mean that to love one another is simply to give each other a hug when you show up on Sunday and say, how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. And then we go to our Back to our homes, is that what he meant? Is that loving one another? Or did he mean something more specific than that? When you look at the New Testament, um, I, I, I spent some time this week kind of combing through all of the one another commands in the New Testament. And I came up with 42 different commands that have to do with how Christians, the church, or members of the church, are supposed to interact with one another. Listen to this list. Of course, we are to love one another. We are also to serve one another. We are to greet one another. We are to welcome and accept one another. We are to make peace with one another. We are to edify and build one another up. We are to encourage one another. We are to forgive one another, submit to one another, and lay down your life for one another. We're just 10 in. We are to walk in transparency with one another. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. Be humble towards one another. Be more interested in one another's interests than our own. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Admonish and rebuke one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We are to meet with one another. Show concern for one another. Be compassionate toward one another. Live in peace, harmony, and unity with one another. We are to sing with and to one another. Did you know that was a command? So we just got through singing together, and it doesn't matter how good you sound. Jesus commanded us to sing to one another and to sing with one another. We are to bear one another's burdens and we are to wash one another's feet. We are to honor one another, teach and instruct one another, strive for restoration with one another, agree with one another, rejoice with one another, comfort one another, show hospitality towards one another. That's a command. Then we get a list of do nots. Do not tear one another down. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble and complain toward one another. Do not be conceited toward one another. Do not provoke one another to anger. Do not be envious of one another. And do not pass judgment on one another. Do not cause one another to stumble and do not speak evil against one another. Now, I'm not saying that this is all of them, but there's 42 explicit ways that you and I are commanded to work out this idea of love. Love. So when Jesus said, "Guys, I'm commanding this. Go love one another." He qualifies it by saying, "But here's how I want you to do that. Don't love as the world loves. Love as I have loved." And so we go through that list of 42 things, and Jesus hits every one of them, doesn't he? I mean, there's not one of these that is below him. Like he's he washed the disciples' feet, and then said, "Now you guys go wash feet." Right? He humbled himself. He served he showed hospitality. His first miracle was at a wedding, turned water into wine. Like Jesus embodied all of these things. And so when he says, go love one another, just as I have loved you, he meant something very specific, didn't he? And and, and what he's saying is this, listen, as I have loved you, I want you to bend that love out towards one another not your version of love, not the culture's version of love, not what feels good on the inside. I want you to love in a very specific way. This love won't always feel easy or good or convenient. It's gonna hurt sometimes. You ever, you ever born another person's burdens, right? Where you empathize in such a way where you're feeling the weight of what they feel. Your stomach's churning and you're not even going through the thing, but you're that closely connected Now, here's here's what I want us to see. Verse 35, when he says, By this, what's the this? How we love one another, right? That's the this. By this, by loving each other the way I love you, by this, all people will know something about us. What will they know? That you're mine. That you are my disciples. You're mine. So in the same way, we talked about the church having very distinct characteristics. We went through seven things. We talked about the church is the gathering of those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, been baptized, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to communion, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, right? Devoted to what? Living the mission in their everyday lives, these seven distinctives. Now in a very micro or specific kind of way, Jesus is saying, listen, here's how people will know you belong to my church. Here's how people will distinguish you from the other people in the world. Here's how people will know you're mine. It'll be, by the way, you interact with one another. So when we think about how the church is described in the New Testament, here's some just a few examples. 1 Corinthians 12 describes us as a body. For just as the body is one and has many members, it's all of us, but we come together as the body. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. And this description, the apostle Paul is using the human body to illustrate what the church should be like. We are intimately connected with one another, relying on one another, serving with and toward one another. Ephesians 2, it's, it's described this way. Listen to this description of who the church is, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And if you look at how the apostle Paul starts his letters to the churches, he's always specifically calling out the saints. Those are the members of the church. He'll call out the saints and sometimes he'll call out the deacons and the elders, but he's writing to a very specific group of people. Right? A distinct group of people who have crossed the threshold and said, I'm a member. Whatever the church is, I'm a member of it. You can count me in. Right? So we see in Acts two, and we're going to take a step back kind of into last week's sermon, we see this phrase, they were devoted. Now the word devoted is a really helpful word, but before we get there, I want to ask the question who are the they? Who who are the they that are devoted to these things of the church? And when you back up into the first, first few verses of Acts 2, verses 5 and 6, we read this. Here's who the they were. They were, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude of... Who? All these people from all these nations. They came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And so that's the they of Acts chapter 2. But track with me here, okay? Because by the time we get to verse 37, now when they, who's the they? That's all those different people from all those different nations and languages. When they heard this, what was this? The gospel, they were cut to the heart. And then verse 42, and they devoted themselves. And there were about 3,000 souls added that day. So who were the they? It was everybody who heard the gospel and believed it. They devoted themselves. And what's interesting is the church goes from 11 to 120 to 3,000 right here in Acts 2. By the time we get to Acts 4, verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, they're just counting men here. Sorry, ladies. You matter. Now, think about that. Who's the they? I mean, they had to have a way to count them, didn't they? If they're throwing numbers down, there was a distinct group of people who crossed the threshold and said, Count me in. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm part of this thing called the church. Count me in. I'm devoted. I'm part of the they. By the time you get to Acts 21, um, you get this description. When they heard it, <laughs> the gospel, the, they glorified God, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are zealous for the law. At this point, they're just counting the Jews who become believers, and it's already into the thousands. Now, what I want to draw out from this are, are a couple of things. One, um, the beginning church didn't have a demographic target. Okay, Acts 2, Peter didn't get the disciples together and say, all right, guys, we're going to start a white church here in Jerusalem, or we're going to start a brown church, or we're going to start a black church. They weren't even trying to start a a racially diverse church. They were just trying to be the church, right? And the races who came, the ethnical diversity that came was represented by who was there, right? This is a beautiful portrait of the church, not striving to be demographically targeted, but to say, "Listen, we want to be the church, we want to be the lighthouse in this community, and we want to draw everyone who will believe we want to draw them together. So what should the ethnical diversity of Solid Rock Church look like? It should look like the community we live in. So it should look like. We're not setting out to be a white church, a brown church, a black church, or even a racially diverse church. We want to be the church, a place where all men and women come to hear the gospel and believe. And if we do that, we will look like the community around us. Do you know what the demographics of Fort Worth are by any chance? This was eye-opening to me. It shows you how immersed I get in the white world in Fort Worth. Because we have that. We have these little groups, don't we? Black sections, Hispanic sections, white sections. But listen to the demographics of Fort Worth. 39% are white. 34% Hispanic, 19% black, 5% Asian. The, the remaining 2 or 3% are Native American or racially diverse. That's the demographics of our town, right? So we're not setting out to be a, a, a multi-ethnic church. We're seeking out to be the church. And we want all who are in our community to come be a part of what God is doing here at Solid Rock. Right? Because who, who are the they? The they who heard the gospel and they crossed the threshold. And the second word, they were devoted. Now, that's really where we're after today. We want to get to the heart of what that means to be devoted. So one of the probably the, the, the most tangible expressions of devotion in terms of relationships is the idea of covenant. And we don't talk about covenants a whole lot in our day and time, in the culture that we live in. We talk in terms of contracts, commitments, those kinds of things, but, but covenants is a relational binding together, and it's actually um, really God's invention in the way that he interacts with his people in the Bible. Matter of fact, the Old Testament, that's the Old Covenant. The New Testament is the New Covenant, so God interacts with people through covenants, Okay, so I want, to, I want to think about that. But not only does God interact with people through covenants, we see the people of God interacting with one another through this idea of covenant. And so one way to think about a covenant, it is an, an outward expression of inward devotion. And we see that these people were devoted, right? It, we ask the question, well, how do we know they were devoted? What did that look like? Because remember, Jesus said, You're gonna be able to tell who my people are. Right? And so who were they and how do we know that they were devoted? There was an outward expression of that devotion and it begins with a covenant relationship. I love the, uh, the portrait of this we get from the Old Testament uh, through the relationship of David and Jonathan. Um, listen to this description of their relationship. This is a covenant relationship. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 18. Verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Sewed together, knit together with the soul soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. See, what Jesus is describing when he says, here's how the people will know you by the way you love one another. He's describing a people who walk in in a love that knits together our souls in covenant relationship. When we think about covenant relationships, we quickly begin to move away from what I can get out of this and we realize that a covenant relationship is more about what I put in, what I'm willing to lay down. Think about that. I walked through 42 different commands. Was there anything in there about what you're going to get? It was all about what you're called to give, isn't it? It's all about what you're called to lay down on the behalf of somebody else. Now, here's the great thing about it. We then, as the church, become recipients of that. So you're called to encourage, and then you encourage me. I I get to receive that. But my membership to the church is not about what I get, what privileges I have, what benefits I get. It's about what I'm willing to devote to. To lay myself down for. I want you to think of it this way. So we think about membership in in any other context. We typically think about like a a large corporation like Amazon Prime, right? So if you're a member of Amazon Prime, it's all about the benefits, isn't it? Isn't that why you pay your annual fee? Like you're not just donating to Amazon, right? Thinking, oh, I really believe in what they do. No, you want your stuff in two days. You want access to... Certain movies and music for free, or it's not really for free, but it's included in your membership, right? You, you can't wait for the drone to show up at your door and drop off your groceries. It's about what you get. That's, what, that's how you justify paying the money, right? That's how we think of memberships. But that's not at all. That's not at all what we mean when we talk about church membership, is it? It's not about what you get. It's about what you're willing to devote yourself to through a covenant relationship and what you're willing to give to serve, to wash feet, to be hospitable, to encourage. But here's the beautiful thing about it. We're not doing this unto a organization, we're doing it unto one another. Look around the room. This is the organization. Th- these are the ones you're called to serve. Not the solid rock brand or logo or this building. The people. Right? So, when we talk about crossing that threshold into membership, we are literally becoming members of one another. Not, not members of an organization or a club. We're becoming members of one another. Think about that. Are you a member of the church? Yes. What does that mean? It means I belong to you. I am a member of you, and you're a member of me. That's what was happening with Jonathan and, 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 uh, and David, right? Their souls are being knit together. They entered into covenant relationship with one another. Why? Because they loved one another as they loved themselves. So this idea of covenant and membership and being devoted, it's a biblical concept, not just a New Testament concept. And so covenant is the context of our relationship with one another as members. By the way, if you want the list of 42 with the scriptural references. If you'll email me this week, I'll get you a copy of that. Because um, I know I covered a lot of ground there. Let's talk for a minute about why this matters. Well, first of all, it was a command. So it should matter, right? We should want to obey this command. But second to that, we can't even begin to obey the rest of God's word unless we are members devoted to in covenant relationship with one another. We have to know who the one another's are. Right? Not only that, we think about other matters like church leadership, like Acts 1, they replaced Judas. Acts 6, the first potentially six deacons, the first seven deacons. Like, they were chosen from among who? The church membership. There was a distinction. They knew who one another were. They weren't just pulling names out of a hat, they, they intimately knew one another. When we think about uh, the calling for Timothy and Titus to put elders in place. Like, those elders, those deacons came out of where? Church membership, the saints. A distinct group of people who have already crossed the threshold and devoted themselves. We think about 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter says to elders and pastors, guys, you guys shepherd the flock among you in a very humble and a very intimate way. Well, I can't do that unless I know who you are. Right? So we see practically speaking, like membership matters. And it clearly matters to Jesus, doesn't it? He wants us to be distinct. He wants us to be identifiable as his by the way we interact with one another. Just a quick word on on covenants. You know, there are different ways that churches do membership. We're certainly not claiming to have um, the best way of doing it. I'll give you some examples. Maybe you've been in context like this. I mentioned last week about my first church experience. Became a Christian, got baptized, and joined the church. The way we did it in that church is that if you want to join the church on Sunday morning when the sermon was done and the last song was done, or sometime in that last song, um, before the fourth stanza, and don't forget they skipped the third, so get down in time. You would come down, and you would grab the the pastor, and you would whisper in his ear, hey, I want to join the church, and he'd say, okay, and you know, are you a Christian, and have you made a decision to trust in Jesus, and have you been baptized, and if you had, then he would sit you down in the front row and say, okay, just sit down, I'll I'll get back to you in a minute, and you finish singing out the song, and then he would turn to the song leader and say, okay, cut it out, we're done, one more stanza, no, 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 we're good, Um, and then, and then he would call you up, this is what happened to me, he called me up from the church, and remember, I'm, I'm 15 years old, I don't know these people very well, and like, looking out this crowd of people, and he'd say, hey, Jason wants to become a member of the church, and so all those in favor say aye. And everybody was like, aye. And I was like, oh, thank God. And then he said something. But then he said, all those opposed. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Is, could somebody be opposed to me becoming a member? And nobody said anything. And he said, congratulations, you're now a member of the church. And that's how membership worked. And so um, that was my first experience. The way we do it here is we, we put together a membership class. So you can come and learn a little bit more about what we believe and how we operate um, and, and what it means to be in a covenant relationship. And then from there, we send you home to think and pray through whether or not this is something God's calling you to do because we really want to take this seriously. Like we want to feel the weight of membership that I'm joining you and becoming part of you. And so our, our covenant um, has a couple of statements on it. Here's some statements from our covenant. Um, this is our membership statement. Having trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior... And having been baptized and being in agreement with the Solid Rock Statement of Faith, ministry ministry strategies and leadership structure, I now feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with the Solid Rock family as a member. In doing so, I commit myself to God and other Solid Rock members to strive, that's the key word, to live according to the statements in the Solid Rock Covenant. And then we lay out some statements there about what it means. And the first statement is about pursuing a relationship with Jesus. So my first commitment to you as a member is that I'm going to pursue a relationship with him. Because if I don't do that, I'm nothing to you. There's no way I'm going to love you like Jesus loves me, right? So that's our first covenant together. And then from there, we talk about unity as a church. Why? Because unity matters. The moment that we begin to disunify, we no longer fulfill the criteria of John 13. So we no longer look like his disciples. So we take unity very seriously here. and So the covenant just lays those things out. But unlike a contract where you would sign it and date it, have it notarized and turn it in, we ask you to keep it. Why? Because this is just a tangible expression of your inward devotion and your covenant is first and foremost before God. And so we want you to keep it. We want you to remember what it means to be a covenant member. And so you hang on to that and then you just let us know, hey, I'm good with it, I'm in. I'm ready to cross the threshold and be be considered as devoted to one another. And so there's a beautiful portrait of what it means to be a member. And we begin to realize, oh, this is less about the role of an organization and more about this living, breathing, organic relationship that we have with one another. And wouldn't it be easier then to not even worry about membership and let's just chill and hang out? Yeah, but the distinction isn't there. And we've been called to live in distinction. And so that's what membership does for us. Now, I know today, like a sermon like we're going through today, it's kind of a nuts and bolts sermon, right? And so it's a lot of information and, you know, not a, maybe not a whole lot of like heartstrings being tugged on. Um, Maybe maybe so, maybe so. Um, But here's the point, right? So some of us here today, we've been members of a church, maybe even this church for like a long time. And it's easy to lose sight of and forget what that means, isn't it? It's easy to slip back into the secular perspective of thinking about what can this place do for me? And, and I need that reminder, so hopefully today has been that for you and, and, and myself alike, to, re, to be reminded that this is about our devotion towards one another. Um, or maybe you're here today and you're just still trying to get more information before you become a member. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you're able to listen to what, what, what it's about for us and, and to pray through that decision. Um, but listen, I'm also aware that there are people in the room who are not Christians, and I want you to know we're glad you're here. A sermon about membership is not about exclusivity and privilege. It is simply a way to say, listen, we want to, be, we want to be distinct from the world around us, but if you're here today and you're not a Christian, hey, we're glad you're here. If you're here today and you're still trying to figure out what Christianity is all about, what does it mean to become a Christian, how do I do that? Hey, we're so thankful you're here. I would go a step further. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you don't want to be here, but you're here because of some commitment you made to somebody else, we're glad you're here. Like we really are. I know, you're just trying to make him or her happy or you made a promise or whatever reason why you're here. And we're glad you're here. So a sermon about membership is not about kicking people out on Sunday morning and saying, hey, we're drawing the line. If you're not a member, then you need to go somewhere else. and no, we're glad you're here. But when we talk about membership, we're talking about a distinction among those who are here, right? That we hope that you would see in us a devotion towards one another that's different from what you see in the world around you. So if you're here today, and I don't know which categories you fall into, all or none of the above, uh, my hope, my prayer is that God has challenged you and spoken to you in some way. So as we get ready to respond, we're going to invite our prayer partners to come to the front. They'd love to pray over anything going on in your life, um, especially if you're here today and you're like, hey, I want more info on this whole Christian thing. Hey, come talk to us. We'd be honored. We'd love to talk with you about making the decision to trust in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're like, oh, okay, I need, I've more questions about membership. Hey, come talk to us. We'd love to talk with you more about church membership. Um, maybe you don't have any questions at all and you're just ready to sing. Well, let's, let's acknowledge together as we stand to sing, we are literally obeying the commands of Christ and us singing together is part of loving one another. Let's pray together. Our worship team's coming forward and our prayer partners as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder today. Um, very clear reminder today that you call your followers to be uh, distinct and called out and, and God, not um, God in a way that promotes exclusivity God, but a way that draws distinction, God. And I love that you, the distinction that you want us to have is that we would love the way you love, that we would love one another the way that you have loved us, God. What a refreshing command. God, we have to stop and, and just think about for a moment, what does that mean that you've loved us? How have you loved us? You've loved us by serving us and washing our feet and laying your life down and forgiving. and Everything you've called us to do, Jesus, you've done for us and to us. So we praise you for that. Now, as we stand to sing, we do so as the body of Christ. God, reminded today of our devotion toward one another. So, Holy Spirit, would you move through this room? Would you speak to our hearts? We pray in the powerful name of Jesus.